Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. I have been a dad for 13 years. Mariah made me a dad. And uh, almost 13 years ago, she was brought into the world. But, um, you know, when as, as a dad, and dads know this, moms know this, when your child is born, there is a an awe of responsibility. Like you, this child is born, and you're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I'm, I'm solely. We feel this way, solely responsible for the well-being of this child. I have to feed it. I have to protect it. I have to take care of it. And we, and and this is part of the reason why we see. I believe the weight of that is part of the reason why we see so many. Uh, we'll use the word men cut, tell, and run whenever, um, you know, they find out that they're going to have a child uh, because it is a heavy responsibility, and it does take a man, come on, a real man to raise a child, and, um, and so there is an awe of responsibility that comes into it. In fact, it's, it's so heavy. I remember when Mariah was born, and I was sitting in, in my mom's living room, and my older brother Luke was there, and I was sitting there, and, you know, we are talking about her, you know, the new baby, you know, and, all the goo in and gone and all this kind of stuff. And Luke said, she's perfect. And I said, yeah, and I hope I don't screw her up. Because that's exactly the way I felt at that moment. Like, I don't want to mess up this perfect child. And, and this is really, I believe, the heart of a man when he has his children. Like, if I can just, if I can not make too many mistakes with this one, then, then I know everything will be okay. And we feel this, this burden, this, this heavy responsibility. But can I tell you today, I'm so glad that I have the wisdom and the help of a wise Abba, Heavenly Father, to come alongside of me and help me raise the child that he has given me, not the child, but now the children, because that weight doubles. It actually feels like it compounds more than doubles every, every child that's added on. It feels like every one is like 10. Um, but when we carry that weight, we have a Heavenly Father that says, I'm, I'm with you. I'm there. I know how to father well. I'm real good at this. I've been doing it since the beginning. And so he knows how to come in and help us. But one of the ways that he helps us father our kids and be fathers is he's, he sends along models for us to follow. He sends along uh, men to emulate the way to show us, hey, this is how it's to be done. This is why it's so important, uh, men, that you don't try to do it alone because there's other guys that know more about certain things than you do, and you can learn from them. And so many times we want to hear from the Lord, and sometimes the Lord puts the word that we need inside of somebody else. This is why he put you in community. You know, we talk about, the well, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. Or, how many know sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak to somebody else concerning you? They have the same Holy Spirit. And sometimes you need to hear it from somebody else because that's better for your ego. Right? Because we really pride ourselves in having all the answers. So um, one of the ways that the Lord has provided me uh, in, in my fathering, and I definitely have a long way to go, but I, God gave me an incredible earthly father to, to model what manhood looks like, not just manhood, but what g- good fathering does. And uh, so I'm going to talk about my dad today, and I, he probably would have opted to not be here, um, but I want to talk about some things that my earthly father taught me about Abba, about my heavenly father. And as we're talking about this series about Abba, and, you know, there's, the, the Lord has given me 
a, uh, an illustration in my life, an example to say this is what the Heavenly Father, it's not to say he's perfect. He, he would be the first to tell you he's not perfect, but there are so many qualities about him that he emulated from his Heavenly Father and probably his earthly father as well. And there are things that I've learned about God because God displayed those prop- properties in my Father. Are you with me? So Psalms chapter 40, you got your Bibles, turn them on, open up your app, wherever you at. Y'all good? All right. Psalm chapter 40. David says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned and he heard my cry, and he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he gave me a firm place. Everybody say a firm place. A firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak of them, they would be too many to declare. I love this passage of Scripture, Psalm 40. David talking about uh, God rescuing and the the power of God to rescue, but also the power of God to amaze mankind. And and when I I read this uh, passage, I always remember this this trip that we took with my dad. I, I moved into my dad when I was 16 years old. Um, kind of lived a wild life up to that point, kind of did whatever I want. And when we were, I want to say I was probably 16, 17 years old, we took a trip up to Eureka Springs, Arkansas, to this uh, place called the Great Passion Play. And during the day, they have all these little exhibits going on and these little stations you could visit. They have it set up like ancient Israel. And I, I remember going to this, uh, this, this event during this day, and there was a guy there that had a potter's wheel, and a, the old school potter's wheel have a big, like they call it like a millstone at the bottom of it. And then it would have like a post and it have a smaller stone at the top and they were both round. And, it's, and they would, the way that they would work the clay is they would kick that bottom stone. Now this guy was wearing like ancient, you know, uh, Israeli garb. And, and so it was, you know, it's kind of a skit. And he was sharing from this passage of scripture, kind of pretending to be an ancient uh, potter. And he's there, and what's funny is like his, if you remember this, his calf, his right calf was huge because he'd been doing this for a long time, you know, kicking that wheel to, to mold that clay. And the other one was like, it looked like he had been riding a chicken, you know, his, his little skinny leg. And uh, so this guy's like, you know, sitting there, and he talks about this scripture. Remember this, Dad? He talks about this scripture, and I'll never forget it. He said that the, when David talks about this, about he pulls me out of the miry, uh, out of the miry clay, out of the muck and the mire, Basically, in those days, if you wanted really good molding clay, you couldn't just go out back and get it out of your backyard. You have to kind of go off into a desolate area where this clay was formed, where moisture and all, all the temperatures and everything was right where it was. And there would be these pits that would just form in the ground where a potter would go to find the very best clay. The problem is, is the very p- best clay many times was down in a sloped like pit. And so if he went down to get some of that clay, it would be so slick that sometimes he could fall off into the hole. And so whenever he, when the psalmist says this, he's talking about a potter who went to go get some clay and he slipped in. And so he's crying out to help and, he, and, he, and he's crying out and he says, hey, I've been waiting. Where are you? 
Where are you? And then he says that he comes along. As I waited patiently, he wasn't frustrated. I was waited patiently. He picked me up. Now, how many know whenever he picked him up, he didn't pick him up just as a man. He picked him up as a formable man. He picked him up as clay. And then it says he set him up on a rock. What is a rock? A rock's that forming stone. So he pulls him out, and he lays him on there, and he begins to mold us on the potter's wheel. And one of the ways he does that is he does that through fathering. He brings people into our life to mold us, to train us, to do all these things. And I'm grateful that my heavenly father provided my earthly father a solid place. And that's the first trait, a stable place, stability to build my life. So when I was 16 years old, Moved into my dad when I was 18 years old. I received the Lord after much diligence, <laughs> and, and the Lord formed me out, and he set my feet on a rock. And that rock is sitting right over there. His name's Larry Brown. And he set me on that rock, and he began to form me in this, and not just him, but the house and the environment, the church we were in. And the Lord began to form me when he rescued me. Um, and it was very tough at times. It was very tough for my dad uh, to work with me. You know, here I was, a, a, again, I didn't really have any rules. I could run wild all over the west side of Odessa, Texas. I don't know that doesn't sound real crazy, but every town has its ghetto. Let's just say that. And uh, I did what pretty much whatever I wanted to do. And so I moved from an environment that was structured. Are you with me? Environment that was stable from an environment that I could just do whatever I wanted. And it was very difficult for my dad. But the thing is, is my dad is a very solid man. Now, when you see him, my dad's 6'5". Even, even though he's a little older, he's still a big man. He's a, he's a force to be reckoned with. I would not recommend you try and test that. Uh, he's he, he, even now a little older, a little more seasoned in his life. He's still very solid. And, and so when I think about the stability of my dad, I think of him physically because he is, he is, when he walks into a room, you, you recognize because he's huge. Um, the other thing about my dad is he has these, these enormous hands. They're like... You can't find baseball gloves as big as my dad's hands. Like, they, like he's got these, these big, like, infinity gauntlet hands that he walks around with. And, uh, you know, and he's used those hands his whole life to work. And, you know, my dad is a big man spiritually, but physically he is also. And, uh, you know, one time I remember the most difficult season of my life. Um, I was living in El Paso, and my dad had come, come to visit me. And we're driving down the road. And I'm just, we're just kind of talking about what I was going through. And my, dad, my dad's driving, and he pulls up his hand, and he goes, Son, my whole life I've been able to take these big old hands and fix anything. And he, he said, But I can't fix this. He said, Only God could fix this. My dad was solid enough to admit that he couldn't fix what only God could fix. And because of that, my, you know, my dad would embrace me and love me and walk me through this. And I was, I was so blessed that my dad was stable enough to point me to my heavenly father, to say, son, you've got to go to God. Only God can heal these places. Only God can fix the things that are going on in your life. And, and I love Psalm chapter 46, verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and God is our strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when the earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. In other words, it's going to get difficult. But we are not trusting in the foundations of this planet. We're trusting in the foundations of heaven. We're trusting that God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is the strength of his people. And I'm so glad that my heavenly father gave me an earthly father to show what stability looks like. The second thing that I learned from my earthly father is that he's awesome. 
Now, when I say awesome, I'm not like, yeah, man, he's awesome. You know, I mean, when, I, when, when we use the word awesome, the word awesome means awe-inspiring, to express awe, to express wonder. You know, I, at a, I turn 44 next week. I know that's hard to believe, um, but I, I am. And I remember when I was younger, like a teenager, and my dad turning 40, first of all, I thought that was really old. And I just remember thinking, like, one day I'm going to be a man like that. Well, then I grew up, and I'm, like, not as tall, right? <laughs> I'm, like, three inches shorter than him. And, like, I can't grow a beard, which is really, like, one of the biggest disappointments in my life. And, but the other thing is, is, and the biggest thing is this, and many of you men will relate to this. It's, like, I'm, like, my dad was a lot better at being a dad and doing life, and like, and exemplifying manhood, all those things, I'm like, like, I don't feel like what I saw him as when he was my age. Is anybody connecting with me? I'm like, like, where did I mess up that I'm not the man like that? And I'm sure that a lot of that is, is just my failure to be objective. But my dad has always been just a man. And I remember like looking at him, you know, even like in his 30s. I remember like when he, when he was in his 30s and thinking, man, if I could be a man like that. I'm like, I'm still like trying to be that man. Does anybody, is anybody else with me? Like I'm still kind of trying to figure out how can I be awesome like my dad? How can I be, you know, I, I love to hear my dad talk. My, some of you will have that opportunity to, to sit and just listen to my dad. And I love to hear him share stories about how he grew up in Arkansas and had BB gun fights with his brothers. I mean, you know, <laughs> can you imagine that in 2018, you know, shooting one another BB guns? I mean, how, you know, that'd be all over the news. And, um, and so how they would do that and how they would break into watermelon patches and bust them open and eat them and just this wild kind of country living that they had when they were kids. And I love to hear those stories. I love to hear stories about him working in the oil field and about how somebody was so ugly that they could back a buzzard off a gut wagon. You know what I'm saying? Like all kinds of like crazy little dadisms that he has. Like, you know, uh, his legs are so skinny it looks like he's riding a chicken. Or, you know, uh, one of the things that my dad is, he's very competent. He's very faithful. He's very on time. He's, he's got great follow-through. So one of the things that he says is if, if you're, and I don't know that he even made these things up, but he picked them up along the way. And for me, they came from my dad. And so he'll say, if, you know, if you're waiting on me, you're backing up. And some of y'all have heard me say that before. And well, I get that from my dad. It's just a, it's just a dadism. It's something that I picked up from my father because I am, I'm, I'm awed by this man. But can I tell you today that he fails in comparison to my heavenly father. He's an amazing man. But my heavenly father can blow me away, not just every once in a while, but he blows me away from moment to moment. That every day with Jesus is an amazing experience if I will just gaze at him. Because he is a God of wonder. And I love how David says that. He says, many, O Lord, are your wonders. The wonders that you have done, the things you've planned for us, no one can recount. If I was to speak to him, I, I couldn't, even, couldn't even write them down. I can't even just begin to describe. I can't even scratch the surface of describing how awesome my God is. You know, we love to be fascinated. I think one of the great fears in our culture is that we would get bored. Right? So we have this little device that we carry around in our pockets, and when we get bored, we just pull it out. Here's my little drug so I don't get bored. Because nothing's worse than being bored, right? Am I the only one? I mean, this is like, but can I tell you, I believe that that was seated, not where it is today, but I believe it was seated in your heart, S-E-E-D, seated in your heart so that, that you would be 
in awe and in wonder of your heavenly Father. See, God wants to blow your mind. God wants to do miracles in your life. He wants you to be fascinated by him. He put that hunger and that desire, he put that desire to wonder, to be blown away, to be fascinated. He put that desire in there because he is the only one that can truly fulfill it. And we spend tons of money being entertained, to be fascinated, to not be bored. And God says, if you look at me, I'll put all that to shame in a moment. With one revelation. You know, one of the the things that we really value here at Overflow is encountering the reality of Jesus, but also discovering the wonder of God. We're all about that. We're all about getting a new revelation or digging deep into the revelation, like digging into the revelation that God is our Father or digging into the revelation that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. We love to dig into these things. Why? Because God has something for us. Uh, Bill Johnson says it this way, God is not hiding something from you. He's hiding something for you. And many times we think God's, you know, kind of this mysterious God. Can I tell you, he is, but he's not unsearchable. He wants his mystery to be found out. God's not hiding from you. He's hiding for you. And in fact, he's hiding things so that you will go on this journey of discovery to learn who he is. Amen? Uh, Proverbs 25, verse 2. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. Yet, it's the glory of kings to search a matter out. And we've learned in this series we've been doing about Abba that our nature is royalty. That we're kings. That we're queens. Right? I know you got the little little filter or whatever on your Instagram, queen, king, whatever. But I'm talking about for real, like your royalty. You don't have to be impressed by the royal wedding. Every, every wedding in the kingdom is a royal wedding. You're a royal citizen. And so because you're a king, you can search out the matters of God because he's given you access to his heart. He's given you access to his mind. We have the mind of Christ. Nobody can know God's ways. You have the mind of Christ. You have the Spirit of God living in you that says, come on a journey and find out who I am. God is awe-inspiring. He is awesome. But he's not saying stay over there. He says, let's have a conversation so you can learn all about me. So you can learn where I've been and where I'm going and where I'm, what I've been and what I'm going to do. I want you to learn of me. So God is a God of wonder, and he wants to be discovered. And I've learned a lot of that from my earthly father because he has, like, all these cool stories. And I'm like, just share the story. I want to hear about all this, you know. And so we can learn that uh, about our Heavenly Father. Number three is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Why is the man blessed that makes the Lord his trust? Because when you trust God, God always delivers. <clears throat> See, God doesn't know how to underdeliver. We've met a lot of people that promise high and underdeliver, right? We've all met those people. But my God, listen, my God supplies all your needs according to his, his riches and glory, not yours, not even according to your imagination. He wants to blow you away with his faithfulness. Um, my earthly father has an incredible work ethic. He's, he's, he's probably the single most devoted person I've ever met in my life. He, uh, about five years ago, he's, he's, probably like stop talking right now, but uh, I believe it was five years ago, Dad, that you retired from Victaulic. He worked a job for 35 years. That's unheard of in our culture. He worked a job for 35 years. And when he retired, he got over 80 emails. There's probably been more since I got this stat. Over 80 emails from other employees saying, man, this is the end of, a, end of an era. You were so vital to our company. So why, why? Was it because he was the best sales guy out there? Maybe. But it was really because my dad is a very faithful, diligent man. He works very hard. And listen, it's not just in the workplace where, where I saw this. I saw this with people. My dad is, it, I've watched him my whole life 
bend over backwards to help people. And sometimes I'll be like, Dad, why are you help? Why are you wasting your money? You know, why are you wasting your time? Why are you doing that? Because my dad, he is committed to the core. There was a faithfulness within him that he got from his heavenly father. I don't know, I'm sure maybe somebody else modeled it to him too, but his heavenly father is like that as well. And, you know, our culture is so driven towards comfort and convenience. You know, we value comfort and convenience more than we do hard work and a life of dedication. In fact, we're only committed if there's comfort promised at the end. And we value the comfort. Oh, look at their comfortable life. Look at it. That is, listen, that is not really anything to, to, to brag about. Oh, I'm so comfortable. Let me tell you, it takes character to be diligent. It takes character to be hardworking, to be devoted, to be committed to the end. It takes character when people will, will tell you, no, 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 and you keep on going. Can I tell you that that is the character of God that never gave up on you, that kept pursuing you, that kept digging after you whenever you didn't want him. And I've seen that so many times from my, my earthly father. You know, we, we're in a culture that if I don't like my job, I'll find a new one. If I don't like my friends on Facebook, I'll hide them or delete them from friends if I don't like what they post, right? Um, if I don't like my church, I'll find a new church, right? If I don't like my marriage, I'll get a new marriage. Well, we're just in, incompatible. Listen, incompatibility is a myth. Well, let me say it this way. Compatibility is a myth. You'll never be married to someone you're compatible with. There are no two humans compatible. You know what makes a marriage work? Not compatibility, commitment. Commitment's what makes a marriage work. Can I tell you? Commitment is what makes any relationship work. It's not about compatibility. It's not even really about connection. Those things are important. But commitment will keep a relationship forever. And we have a God that is sold out to us. He is completely sold out. I mean, get this. He bankrupt heaven to get you. I mean, he paid the highest price. Not just a man dying, God dying on a cross like a sinner for you. That's commitment. Hebrews 6. Nice little Father's Day message for you. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. Let me, let me teach you something. If, some, if, you, if you tell people you're going to do something, and then they continually pursue a promise from you, it's probably a good indicator that you don't deliver and your word's not good enough. See, I'm a man of my word, so if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. I don't need to promise them. I don't need to put it in writing. I don't even need a handshake. I'm going to deliver because I said my word is my bond, and I've seen this with my dad. My dad just delivers. He shows up. He works. If he doesn't, he calls and says he's not going to. Wow. Probably not even a text message. It's like an actual phone call, like a human on the phone. You go, hear your voice. There's a human on that, just a digital human, a real human. But listen, it's important that we're people of our word, that we are faithful like our heavenly father. Okay, back to the message. Verse 17, God also bound himself with an oath. So God who didn't need to make a promise, I mean, what God says is going to happen. Right? I mean, he's just, he's just faithful. It's just who he is. God says it's going to happen. But he said, listen, to reassure you, to give you confidence where you might like it, I'm going to give you an oath and a promise. So this is what it says. So God also bound himself with an oath so that those that received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Do you know God didn't change his mind about you? 
God didn't change his mind about healing your body. God never changed his mind about being faithful to you. You might have changed your mind about being faithful to God. And if you're like me, you've probably done that quite a few times. But God has never changed his mind about being faithful to you. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two, un- two things are, un- are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Nothing's impossible for God except for lying. It's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, remember what we said, those that trust in him, those who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Take confidence, beloved. God is faithful. He is faithful. I know people let you down. Maybe you have an earthly father that let you down. Maybe you had a terrible example. Maybe you didn't even know your dad. But can I tell you that God will never, ever, 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 ever let you down. He cannot. It is not his nature. It is not his ability to let you down. He can't. Faithfulness. Number four, tenderness. You might look at my dad and say, man, he's a big, strong man. But my dad is not a tough man. He's not tough. He's not hard. He doesn't, he's not puffed with pride. He's not, he's not a, he doesn't pride himself in being this, you know, macho man. No, he is a tender man. One of the most tender people I've ever met in my life is my earthly father. But yet, physically, you would look at him and not think that he's a tender man. When I was 16 years old, I moved into my dad. I was, I've shared a little bit about this. I was a rebellious teenager. I spent a lot of time doing what I wanted to do. And it was real tough on my dad. It was real tough. He had a, he had a son that um, was, you know, seven or eight years old when I moved in and been through some uh, battles there, but never had to deal. I mean, he was, he was thrown right into the rebellious teenager stage. And here I come. And uh, it was tough on my dad. I, in fact, I, I think I might understand it a little bit now. I still don't. Maybe when my kids get a little older and they start becoming a little bit more of a challenge. Um, <laughs> don't do it. I don't need that. Ch- I don't need patience. I don't need any of that. <laughs> All right. But one thing that I remember, I remember this happened very vividly. Uh, freak- I don't want to say frequently, but it did happen quite often that my dad and I would have these Knock down, drag out fights. That's another dadism. Knock down, drag out. We would we would argue and you know have all this tension. And I'd go into my room and pout like a like a whiny teenager, throw myself on my bed. And just a few minutes after that, my dad would come and walk into my bedroom and he'd sit at the foot of my bed. And I, I remember vividly, my dad would take his hands and, and put his ha- head in his hands, and he began to weep. And he'd say, son, I'm sorry. I don't know how to do this. I don't know. I've never had a teenager before. I love you, and I'm committed to you. And we would have, man, I can tell you that the, the most bonding moments that I've ever had with my dad are those moments whenever he, whenever he chose to be vulnerable and not to be tough and not to, like, pull out his belt and discipline me, but to reveal tenderness. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with discipline because a lot of that happened and a lot of it was necessary. A lot of it was necessary. But those moments, listen, those moments of his tenderness are the things that dealt with my heart, not just my behavior. And listen, our heavenly Father is tender towards us, beloved. There is no weakness in him. There is no need. Listen, there is no need for him to be tender, yet he is tender with us. He comes along and he says, this is the standard, son. Here it is, but I'm going to help you. 
I'm going I'm to give you Jesus. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so, so we, can, we can work on you. And I love Job 36.5. God is mighty, but does not despise men. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is solid, but he does not despise us. He is tender with us. He pursues us with mercy. Our God is tender. And number five, let me review real quick. Our God is stable. He is awesome. He is faithful. He is tender. And the the fifth thing that I learned from my earthly father about my heavenly father is the power of pursuit. The power of pursuit. I remember one of these, uh, how how do we call it, intense fellowship moments. (laughs) That's, That's the Christian word for fighting. Intense fellowship. My dad and I were having this intense fellowship. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, Dad, but we were in the garage, and we were arguing about something. I don't even remember what it was about. Isn't it funny how you never remember what the argument's about? You just remember how, how you felt. And so I took off walking. I was like, that's it. I'm done. Moving back in with my mom. You know, and I took off walking. I got grounded for something I did that was surely worthy to be grounded of. And I took off walking down the street and up the street, and all of a sudden I can see out of the corner of my eye, I see my dad's car pull up. And he rose down his window and he says, son, pleading with me, please get in the car. I don't, I don't want you to go anywhere. I don't want you to leave. I, I want you to come home. Let, get in the car. Let's talk about it. You remember that? And I, I remember getting in the car and I don't even remember what the argument is about. But I remember me and my dad, we were able to resolve that issue. But can I tell you that my dad was more than a pursuer in that moment because for as long as I can remember, my dad was like, son, why don't you come? Why don't you come and live in the house? Why don't you come? I, I, th- I, th- I, think, I think I can provide a better life for you. I think, there's, I think I can be the father that you need me to be. I can be that if you'll come. And my dad pursued me for as long as I can remember. He pursued me. And isn't that just like the heavenly father? Isn't that just like our heavenly father, how he pursues us and he chases us down? You know, we've been in this series, we've been talking about the story of the found son. Some people call it the story of the prodigal son and how that son went running away and the father was waiting for him to come home. And then he came and he threw himself. But before that, there are two other stories. And one of them is about a shepherd who owns a hundred sheep. And he says, that, man, I have 100 sheep, but one of my sheep, they went wandering off. And so what did he do? He left the 99 to go find the one. It didn't mean that he abandoned them, but he, but he went to go pursue the one. Because 99 wasn't enough. He still saw the one. So he said, I'm going to go look for the 99. It might cost me my life, but I'm going to go after that one sheep. Because he's supposed to be here. He's supposed to be in my fold. So I'm going I'm to abandon everything and go. And if I die, I die, whatever. But I'm going to get him and bring him home. And then we see another story about a woman that says that she had 10 coins. This is right before all this. It says she had 10 coins, but she had lost one of the coins at her house. And so it says that she looked up and down throughout the whole house. And she looked through every nook and cranny. And she pulled the couch out. And she pulled out the vacuum. She, Man, she cleaned every little nook and cranny of that house until she found that one coin. Nine coins would have been okay. She would have probably survived. But she was not content without having that one. And Jesus says it this way. He says that when she found that one coin... That she looked at it, and she ran out, and she told her neighbors and her friends. She said, look, I found the coin. It's what I've been looking for. I've been pursuing the coin. I've been pursuing it, and I found it. Here it is. You all told me that it was okay. It's just one coin, but I saw value in it. And how great is the Father's love for us. Listen, Jesus is the Father's pursuit. He said, I love you so much. I'm going to bankrupt heaven 
for you. I'm going to come chasing you. I'm going to send my son. He's going to live like you live. He's going to struggle with what you struggle with. And he's going to die. He's going to die for your humanity so I can have you. This is how bad I want you. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your desire for us, Lord, how you pursue us, how you want us. We're so grateful. We're so grateful. Listen, I believe in this room today, I believe the, the Father has been hunting you down, that he's been, he's been looking for you, not to, not to give you a spanking, but to give you his grace, to give you a relationship. And you've been running. And today's the day that you get caught and you say, you know what, I want to be caught by the Father. I don't want to run anymore. I want to give myself to this good, wise, heavenly Father that risked it all when he gave Jesus. And I want to give myself to him today. I want to be found. Just lift your hand. I want to be found today. I don't want to run anymore. I see a couple of hands, three hands. Who else? I want to be found today. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you now. I'm going to pray for you this week. Listen, he wants to be discovered. He wants to be in your life. I want everybody across the room to pray this with me. Say, Father, thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus. Lord, I thank you that when I, come on, thank you that when I, come on, was a long way off, you pursued me. And so, Lord, I receive today. I receive Jesus. Your pursuit. I confess that I've sinned against heaven. And Lord, today, I want to be called your son or your daughter. Here I am. You are the Lord. And I give myself to you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. So kind and so merciful. Thank you, Lord, for not giving up on us. Thank you, Lord. Listen, I want to give one last exhortation, and then Leslie's going to close out the service. But in a culture, in a culture that needs godly, authentic manhood, a culture that desperately needs men to be the men that God created them to be, to the younger men, I say this, look for a man to model. And by younger men, I mean if you're under 45. Right? Look for a man to model. Look for a godly man, not, who, not someone who is sissified or flippant with conviction. But find a man who can speak into your life, who's solid, who has some conviction, that lives at a higher standard than you. Someone that you might even consider to be quote-unquote legalistic. Someone that you can learn from, that you can grow from. Someone that can speak into your life firmly and you not run off. Someone that can shoot straight with you that you can receive from. Find that man. You need a man like that in your life. You need someone. It could be your earthly father. It could be someone else. But find someone that will be, that will be real with you. Real enough to tell you when you're doing something stupid. How many of you, when you've done something stupid, you wish somebody had told you you were about to do something stupid? Me too. And I did have those people, but I didn't take it to them. To the single women, I say this. Never settle for a man who can't be reliable, who won't keep his word. 
Never settle for a man who can't control his temper or hold down a job. Don't settle for that man. And don't think, listen, don't think that you can be his mother and bring him into those things. You can't. He is who he is. Now, if he becomes that, then okay. Let him pursue you. Let him pursue you. You be women, single women, be pursued. Don't be a pursuer. You're worthy of being pursued. You're a princess of God. You're worthy of being pursued. To the married women, I say this. If your man's not there yet, treat and value him as though he is. And cherish him regardlessly. And let me say this. Don't try to be his mother. Don't try to be his mother. That's not who you are. You're his wife. And guys, don't try to be your wife's daddy either. Oh, that'll preach all day too. All right. To the men, I say this. Man up. Be the man. Grow up. Be responsible. Somebody needs you to be a man. Somebody does. It might be a 14-year-old kid in a, in a program for looking for a big brother. It might be a child that you have. It might be somebody else's child. Somebody needs you to be a man, so man up. And if nobody else, our culture needs you to be a man. Listen, I'm not talking about toxic masculinity and puffiness. I'm not talking. We've talked about that today. Recognize your value in your father's eyes and reflect his greatness. Reflect his greatness. Amen? Amen. Be blessed.